It's, we're going to look at the first 11 verses of Isaiah 40. Now, up to this point, Isaiah, called by God, has been faithfully prophesying the awful judgment that God will bring upon his people, Israel and Judah, because of their disobedience. Literally, he's been prophesying that the walls of Jerusalem will fall down. Now God says through him, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the Sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And now please turn with me to page 1157. We'll look at the first seven verses of 2 Corinthians, page 1157. Now it's AD 55, Paul is in Macedonia. He's writing to the church in Corinth and to all the Christians who are scattered in the Roman province of Achaia, which surrounds Corinth. This is what God says through him and what God says to you and I by his Holy Spirit today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For, just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, 
which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Please uh, be seated and join me as we pray. Our loving Father, we pray that you would speak words of comfort into our lives and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Friends, just to apologise for my voice uh, straight from the start so you don't feel uncomfortable about that. Don't be sorry for me, I'm fine. But I uh, do have some asthma that's come on me because of the wind and the pollen. But I'm absolutely fine. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of a handful of German theologians to stand up to the Nazification of the German church. Bonhoeffer's courage thrust him into the leadership of the confessing church. Bonhoeffer joined the resistance movement, which in turn led to his being imprisoned by the Gestapo in April 1943. Dietrich Bonhoeffer then wrote Letters from Prison, which became a bestseller after the war. Among the letters is a beautiful poem written to his fiancée, Maria von Wiedemeyer, entitled New Year 1945. Stanza three is famous. Should it be ours to drain the cup of grieving, even to the dregs of pain, at thy command we will not falter, thankfully receiving all that is given by thy loving hand. Poignant words that became more to win three months later, just as the war was ending, Bonhoeffer was hung in Flossenburg prison. Fast forward to some 18 years later across the Atlantic in America, when another bride-to-be was grieving the death of her fiancé and found much comfort in Bonhoeffer's poem. Her fiancé, who died from injuries in a sledding accident, was the son of author Joseph Bailey and his wife Mary Lou. When she mailed Bonhoeffer's poem to them, they too found comfort in New Year 1945. Twelve years after this, 30 years... After Bonhoeffer's death, Joseph Bailey received a letter from a pastor friend in Massachusetts relating that he had visited a terminally ill woman in Boston Hospital for some period of time and had given her Joseph Bailey's book of poems titled Heaven as comfort for her soul. The pastor said that the dying woman had stayed awake late the previous night to read it and told him of the comfort and help she'd received from it. A few hours later, she died. The woman, the pastor revealed, was Maria von Wedemer-Weller, Bonhoeffer's fiancée three decades earlier. God's comfort circulates among his children and sometimes it comes full circle as it did from Dietrich Bonhoeffer to Maria von Wedemer in her grief to Joseph Bailey Jr.'s grieving fiancée to Joseph and Mary Lou Bailey in their grief and then back to Bonhoeffer's one-time fiancée as comfort in her dying hours. So in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and following, we see this astonishing cyclical nature of comfort, its mutuality and its overflowing nature. And it's been said by any estimation that 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 7 frames the Bible's greatest text on comfort. Let's remind ourselves of its content as read by Martin and follow on with me as I read verses 3 to 5. They're on pages 157 or up on the screen. 
So just again to remind us, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. This letter written by the Apostle Paul and in the first instance addressed to the Corinthian church. You'll recognise with me as we think about comfort that comfort is given where there is the experience of some discomfort, some affliction or suffering. Comfort, if you like, is the soothing ointment on distress of one kind of another or another to bring relief and refreshment. However, it's important to recognise at the outset that our suffering is twofold. There is suffering as Christians which is distinctive. That is the hostility that we endure from a world hostile to its creator and saviour and which I add for Paul as an apostle was unique, which marked him as an apostle. And there is suffering as part of our humanity, that of being mortal, illnesses, accidents, what I might call incidents and man's inhumanity to man and the like which we know can feel very unevenly distributed and that adds to the suffering and the mystery. Paul knew both kinds of suffering. Three times he asked God to take away what he describes as a thorn in the flesh. Well, this morning it's not my intention to address the questions we might have about suffering. Tonight's message at 6.30 will go some way in answering your questions about suffering. This morning we're thinking together about God's comfort. What's led me to speak on God's comfort is this. It's because I'm concerned that we are comforted. That you know God is deeply aware and cares deeply about your suffering, whatever form it takes. And I hope from this message, in the midst of all our afflictions of whatever kind they might be in this life, that we'll grow in faith to see God as the great comforter and set our hope on him. And secondly, that we'll recognise God's comfort and receive it. And thirdly, we'll decide to be a comfort when and with whom God calls me to comfort. And fourthly, to decide to allow our suffering to be instructive and to allow God to speak into our lives. So we do this as we look at Paul's experience of suffering and the comfort that he received. So firstly, we will grow in faith to see God as the great comforter and set our hope on him. Paul gives us a beautiful description of God our Father here in 2 Corinthians. And I think it's helpful to recognise that God whom we call Father is spoken of here as this. Listen again. He's spoken of as the God of all comfort. Comfort describes him and his comfort is all-encompassing. God is the great comforter. And chapters 40 to 66 of Isaiah repeatedly speak of the comfort or consolation of the messianic age. Isaiah 40 begins... ...and Luke in 2.25 talks about this comfort of salvation and comfort itself. It was and is through Christ that the comfort of God the Father comes. And so such comfort is ministered to us as those who are in Christ, who belong to him, in and through the Holy Spirit, whom the Apostle John speaks of in his Gospel as the Comforter, 
the advocate, the one who comes alongside. And as the Apostle Paul speaks as God, as comforter, he says of him, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He wants to state that relationship between the Father and the Son and our relationship with them. In chapter 7 and verse 6, he's spoken of as the God who comforts the downcast. And then if we go back to the Psalms, we read, he is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. It might be true to say, mightn't it, that we experience the closeness of God more in our suffering than at any other time. But in saying that, I'm aware that there are times also in suffering when God seems very far away. And so we find that the comfort also cries out, where are you? How long must I wait? And I want to stress right here that it's so helpful to know scripture so that we can recall God's promises in the darkness, in those darkest of valleys. Then we can say with the psalmist as we hang on, maybe by the slimmest thread of faith, I'll fear no evil because you are with me. And God says in his word that he's for us and that he's with us. And that makes all the difference in the world if we appreciate that reality. Well, what can we say in all of this? Scripture reveals our heavenly father, the God of all comfort, as the one who cares. Our God longs to comfort us. Our God is able to comfort us. The God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, is the God who presences himself with us. And here in our passage, the idea of comfort is to strengthen much, to encourage, to stand by another and encourage him or her as they endure testing there in verse 5. Maddie, our lovely 14-year-old granddaughter, heard us speaking yesterday at home about comfort. And uh, she joined in and said... Uh, the Latin for comfort is strong and together. Curiously, I asked, how did you know that? And she said jokingly, I have my sources. And she certainly does. I think I'll go to her first next time. Two words which I suggest we can join together, and they're here in, one Corinth- in 2 Corinthians and chapter 1. Strong together. Paul wanted his hearers to understand that the merciful Father is the author of all possible comfort and consolation. There is no enduring comfort apart from him. So then, point two, to recognise God's comfort and to receive it. In verse four we read, who comforts us in all our troubles. My interest in the recent preaching series on 2 Timothy was heightened by the fact that during my recent visit to Rome with my wife Rose, we visited the famous Memetine prison where it's believed that the apostles Paul and Peter spent their last days prior to their execution. Thinking in this instance this morning about Paul, I want to say I found it a very sobering and humbling experience to be in the same space where Paul may have spent his last days and hours before his death. To think of Paul totally closed off from the world outside with absolutely no chance of escape, having given his all in ministry, now in this place, at the will of his captors, everything now taken out of his control, stripped of all, let down into the cave like a prison 
this cave-like prison which housed him through a small round opening as he would have been let down, maybe brought to the top on occasions to see his visitors. The Mamertine prison is fittingly described as dark and dank, and it's at the time of use, even as one historian describes it, as disgusting and vile. And yet from this seemingly God-forsaken place, Paul penned to Timothy. Paul, as he'd experienced in many circumstances when he'd been afflicted before, sought comfort. You remember Bruce preaching on the last chapter of 2 Timothy recently, and I returned to it briefly to remind us of Paul's desire for comfort and what it was that comforted him. We can learn from this. He speaks of Onesiphorus as being the one who often refreshed him. He was unashamed, he said, of his chains, and he sought him out very zealously and found him. In his letter to Timothy, Paul reveals his anxiety and his desire in comfort for human companionship. Here he is, forsaken and lonely. He's been done harm by someone close, and he calls upon Timothy. He says, come, be diligent, come quickly, come before winter, and bring my cloak when you come, and the books, especially the parchments, and we guess he asked for those so that he could work on them. And you probably remember, uh, if you were here, Paul, um, Bruce speaking about Paul in that way. He wanted things that occupied him. He wanted things to contribute to, even in his last days. In all his afflictions, he expresses that the Lord stood with him and strengthened him and delivered him. And again, we see God sustaining comfort at work, strong together if I can use Matty's phrase. In the same way here in the Corinthian correspondence, Paul speaks of being comforted by Titus during other times of trouble in which he experienced. He says he experienced conflicts on the outside and fears within. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. But God who comforts the downcast, comfort us by the coming of Titus. And we can feel in those words the utter sense of Paul's relief and joy in remembering how uplifting that visit from Titus was. Paul, you see, had learned from, through Titus of the church's wholehearted concern for him. And he says, by all this we're encouraged. And in addition, addition to our encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. So in both these examples of Paul receiving comfort, we notice that the comfort he received through others, he saw coming from God, his compassionate and all-comforting father. And Paul, you know, we could say was certainly one of the most afflicted men ever. He suffered cold, nakedness, beating, imprisonment, criminal assault, shipwreck, betrayal, desolation, desertion and more. His life was a perpetual death, he says, for he goes on to say in verse 11 in chapter 4, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. And this said, he found that God comforted him, comforted him in all his afflictions, not in some of them, but in all of them. Every one of Paul's epic miseries, he testifies, was attended by God's comfort. You name it, lashes, beatings, whatever. He's saying, in all of them, I experienced the comfort of God. In 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen, following, to actually, to actually endorse his apostleship, he shares these things. He's not skiting about this in, in any way about himself. 
And we can think of it like this. We can think of it like this. When he was in danger from rivers, God's comfort. Danger from bandits, God's comfort. Danger from his own people and the Gentiles, God's comfort. Danger in the city, God's comfort. Danger in the country, God's comfort. Danger at sea, God's comfort. Danger from false brothers, God's comfort. He goes on to say, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, God's comfort. Knowing these realities of Paul's experiences and considering what he says about comfort, his testimony was God always comforted him, always delivered him. But what we're conscious of as we consider that is that his comfort came in the midst of extreme suffering. And the result was that Paul was able to comfort those in any affliction. And he did so with the comfort with which he himself had been comforted by God. Just think for a moment, how did Paul comfort others with the comfort with which he'd been comforted by God? Overall, I think it was by his example, which we see over and over again in his epistles. They would have observed his attitude and behaviour in and through and after his sufferings. And then there were his prayers, which I commend to you. And of course, there were his gentle words of comfort, which we see here, graced with authenticity and power so that God's comfort was administered through him. Affliction was bound to be, and for Paul he is testifying that for him it led to effective ministry. Hardship, difficulties, whatever, are promised to all who serve Christ. And Paul, you could say, sets the scene for what anyone can expect in ministry. Then thirdly, to decide to be a comfort when and with whom God calls me to comfort. Bishop Paul Barnett observes that God's comfort does not terminate in the one who receives it. And this is something of what Maria von Wedemeyer Weller experienced from her beloved Dietrich Bonhoeffer and from her to another grieving young woman to the Baileys and then full circle back to her. The circle all began with the experience of affliction and God's comfort overflowing to the comforted. For just as we share abundantly, verse 5, in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. And the emphasis of verse 5 is upon Paul's experience of overflowing comfort, of a flood, if you like, of consolation. And most recently, he'd experienced this overflowing comfort in the province of Asia, where he says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we'd, we'd actually felt that we'd received the sentence of death. But again, he, he goes on and says, but God delivered him with a resurrection, with his resurrection power. And he concludes after he says that, he has delivered us and he will deliver us. And on him, we've set our hope. So then what is evident here is that Christ is the centre, the absolute centre and the source of all comfort. And just as Paul's union with Christ was the source of his suffering, so also Christ was the source of his overflowing comfort. I think the reality is this, that in comfort Christ binds us to himself as we suffer and we seek his wisdom. As we consider this overflowing nature of God's comfort, we too can decide 
to be a comfort when and with whom God calls me to comfort. It's something can continue to learn and grow in. And its effect can be endless within and throughout generations. So then fourthly, I wish to encourage us as those who receive God's comfort to decide to allow our suffering to be instructive and to allow God to speak into our lives and empower us to comfort others. These verses affirm that God of all comfort brings consolation, relief, refreshment, deliverance, strengthening, and he chooses to bring comfort through his people. Again, strong together. What we have in these verses is what the secret is to sustaining the style under trials of many kinds. And these these verses in 2 Corinthians point us to the wider scriptures and their power that can be unleashed in our lives through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and be life-giving to us. And I want to just add here just one thought from a book I've been reading lately titled Being Mortal, great title, by Atul Gawande. I'm sure you won't rush to read it. As our mortality becomes more and more evident, so comfort comes from being valued and affirmed and giving meaning to life and to the life of others. Comfort, he says, comes from those real opportunities to grab onto something beyond mere existence. And just a little bit about him. He's speaking as a medical man who ministers to those in their mortality and who actually wants to challenge the medical profession in the way that we do that. So then to conclude, these verses speak to us and say God's comfort knows no bounds. There's no persecution. There's no anxiety, no depression, no physical ailment, no disappointment, no heartache, no anguish, no doubts, no anger against God, no setback, no broken dream, no question, whatever, that is any barrier that in any way can prevent God's comfort from breaking through, from doing its work, just as nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing can keep us from his comfort. That's what these words, that's what these verses are saying, not what I'm saying. We can know God's comfort by keeping open to the possibility of allowing him to speak into our lives, of always calling out to him and bringing before him whatever doubts and fears we might have, even though we do not feel him. But I'm persuaded that ultimately we will feel him. Doing this, even though we may wonder in our extremity sometimes if he's forgotten our address, we will find ourselves more and more bound to him. Friends, the word of God stands firm. His word is truth and God's faithfulness must prevail. But I also add this word, which God has given us. Weeping may stay for the night. In other words, there can be periods of time when comfort seems hidden from us. But rejoicing comes in the morning. The Lord is a great comforter, is at work to bring comfort to his people. His people, And the words God spoke to Paul, which he records in 2 Corinthians 12, when Paul addresses his thorn in the flesh, 
and he wonders what's going on. He gives us this window into his heart because God has refused him. And then he says, he spoke into his life and said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul comes to this point where he says in his utter humility, well, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And we can allow our thorns, whatever our thorns are, to pin us closer to Christ. These verses have sustained many people at times when they needed to know God's comfort would prevail. In their helplessness, in their place where there was nowhere to go, these words have come to them. And I want to say this morning, friends, let's keep being part of God's comfort plan. And this morning my hope and prayer is that you will hear God's words to you as he said through Isaiah and allow those words to penetrate into the depth of your being as if he was saying them to you this morning. I want to comfort you, my people. Comfort, comfort my people. Let me pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, help us to hear you speak your words of comfort into our souls. Help us to put our hope in you as the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And help us, Lord, to be able to say with the psalmist, I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Amen.